Welcome to Appalachian Shine, the official podcast for the Foundation for Appalachian Advancement. And if you're listening to this, then consider yourself a part of the team. Stick around and let's shine a light on all things Appalachia. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Appalachian Shine. This is J.C. Swingruber, your regular host. And today I'm lucky to be sitting here with Sarah Robinson. She is an author, a poet, a playwright. And uh, Sarah, I appreciate you coming on. I have your bio here. and I'm going to get through some of this. But I was looking at it. It was kind of impressive. So I kind of want to tackle some of these individually. That's okay with you. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, tell us... Uh, Tell us a little bit about where you're from and what got you interested in writing in the first place. Thanks, JC, and thanks again for having me on Appalachian Shine. I am a native Virginian. I was born and raised in the Shenandoah Valley in a little town called Elkton. It's one of those types of little Virginia towns. Most people drive fast to go by. Uh, in this case, they try to go fast between Richmond and Harrisonburg. So in, in Elkton is square in the middle. Um, I am an only child, uh, second generation born in this country uh, from Russia, actually. And uh, you see, I have, uh, you don't see, but uh, I have on a Ukraine shirt because I am a part of that contingency that believes that the invasion of Ukraine is wrong. But that's a topic for another day. Um, What got me writing is, I spent 35 years in the industrial chemical and minerals mining industry, working my way up through lab tech all the way up to vice president of at least two companies. And all of them were in those industries. And I wrote prolifically, uh, published prolifically in those industries. I even hold a patent. Uh, And at that time in my career as a path, it was fulfilling in that way. Okay, when you're you're focused on your career and you're trying to do your best in your work, you you and your writing is simply regurgitating data and coming to conclusions that you hope will prove all the data right. Uh, but when I uh, retired, I I really didn't want to to do that anymore, and I I thought well, what am I going to do in retirement? What else? I've spent so much time on my career. I don't know if I've got any any hobbies that will bring me any kind of satisfaction other than reading. So I did discover one thing that during the years of working, when I was going out with friends or meetings or what have you, and we were having casual talk, that I used to regale everybody with the uh, stories of Elkton and the stories of my father, who was a famous photographer and my enigmatic mother and our hopelessly 
dysfunctional family dynamics. And someone said at one time, the, the proverbial thing, oh, Sarah, those stories are so funny. You should write a book. And so I did. I wrote a book, a memoir about my father and mother and put all those escapades down in, on paper. And is, is this the Love Always Hobby of Jesse? Yes, yes, okay. that's the name of the book. And it actually still does well. The, the small publishing company that took it on went out of business. So I bought back my publishing rights. I, I owned the copyright to begin with, uh, but I brought back the publishing rights. And so I didn't shop it to another publisher. I just sell, sell it through uh, Lightning Source and, and uh, book, bookstores and uh, Amazon and the usual outlets. And so from there, I thought, you know, I really enjoyed putting this book together. I really enjoyed this kind of writing. So I took a creative writing course through University of Virginia. And I thought, well, maybe I could write some short fiction. And I joined a local writing group. Uh, and I went to one of their open mic nights with a couple of my little short stories in hand. And that night after I had my chance at open mic and read my stories, one of the preeminent poets in Virginia approached me and said, Sarah, you should be writing poetry. And I responded to her, I don't even know if I like poetry. <laughs> I, I've never written any poetry. Now that's so, a response. <laughs> yeah. well, she wasn't expecting that. No, she wasn't. And, you know, most people, if you ask them, well, what do you think about poetry? They generally respond, I don't think much about it, <laughs> especially if they're not an active academic or an active writer. Yeah. So she said, I want you to, she had been conducting a long running workshop and she asked me to join it. And she said, you need to be writing poetry and I'm going to show you what you need to be doing. A year and a half later, I published my first book of poetry. It was called Two Little Girls in a Waiting Pool. And it was based, the poetry was based on my experiences of growing up in Elkton, friendships formed there, uh, Elkton itself and the people to some degree, and just my observations of now having gone past middle age and into older age, what I was thinking back on when I would think about Elkton and write about it. Um, and then I was hooked, JC. I, I found out that if poetry can be transmitted via a virus, I caught it. Uh, and poetry became everything for me. It, it brought out my, uh, a hidden love of literature. It brought out a, 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 a love of writing. It brought out an opportunity to meet really, really interesting, great people through the writing club uh, and through other opportunities to read my poetry. And it just opened up a whole new world for me, a world that I found and still do love. Um, you went from, it looks like going to these workshops to eventually starting to conduct these, these things. On your bio, um, I wanted to kind of ask it about a couple of these things here. Uh, it says you were the founder of the Lonesome Mountain Prose Writers Workshop. Uh, right. You're a former instructor of a course on contemporary American poets at UVA. Uh, Ollie, what, what, what is that? That's the Osher Lifelong <laughs> Learning Institute. 
It is a program uh, for community residents to get college level courses uh, at a nominal fee and be able to have them conducted by academics or people who have expertise in those areas. Uh, I had uh, decided that, I mean, I became so hooked on it uh, that it tapped in back into my college and graduate school work. And when I was in corporate America, I, I led a lot of workshops in my field for engineers and chemists. So it sort of tapped into that. And it tapped into me going around the world giving technical presentations. So I had a kind of fundamental skill set. And all I had to really do was transform it over from one side of my brain to another. And uh, it, that became uh, my path. I wanted to help other writers who had books in progress or projects, help them bring them to completion. And that's the workshop. Uh, we not only were able to see our members uh, have books published as a result of it, but we also published our own anthology. Well, that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. And actually, I, I seen where you had uh, done a lot of guest speaking uh, at UVA Wise, which is, you know, yeah, that's yeah. my old stomping ground, my alma mater. So you've even, you know, traveled from, I assume it's Albemarle County. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. Shannon, that's a, that's such beautiful country right there. It, it uh, is it, gorgeous country here. Um, so, so you traveled down this way and uh, here it's like central Appalachia uh, as a guest lecturer here. But you also, um, you were a poetry column, uh, columnist for Southern Writers Magazine. Yes. And, uh, and a poetry editor for the Virginia Literary Journal. So right. it, it's such, it's just, what kind of fascinates me is the fact that you had the career that you had, which had nothing to do with any of, of this in poetry. <laughs> And yet here you are, you find yourself after retiring, just getting hooked on this to the point where you kind of hold these positions just because you just immersed yourself into it. It just, it wrapped itself around you, I guess, for a lack of a better way. That's a good way to put it, yeah. Uh, like a blanket and just like kind of propelled you into these speaking engagements, uh, conducting workshops. Uh, and then these, these uh, you know, Southern Writers Magazine, it's a pretty impressive uh, a thing to, to be working with as well, as well as a Virginia journal. Um, how did those, how do you kind of wrap your head around coming out of that <laughs> career in chemistry? And then next thing you know, you're, you know, like yeah, poetry's version of Hemingway, right? <laughs> so uh, yeah. here, here in Shenandoah Valley. Well, it's uh, one of the things that uh, musicians will tell you uh, is that an appeal of music uh, is the mathematical component of it. There is a type of science to me in the co composition and planning of poetry. I, you know, I like to think of myself more uh, sort of like what Charles Wright, a, a well-known poet in this area once said, he wasn't really a poet. He just was a writer who wrote poems or wrote poetry. And I like to think of myself as an old chemist who writes poetry. There is, there, there is an element of science in writing literature. And the science is really based on the layout 
of your words and your lines. We, we think of it as being grammatically correct when you're writing something or saying something. And there is a science behind that because if you look back when we were taught to read and write, we were taught that things went in a certain order or that plural words took plural nouns or singular nouns took singular verbs. And all of that to me just sort of came together and congealed in a scientific way. I, I approach poetry almost in a practice of my version of a scientific method. Uh, and that is I lay out my words, I form my thoughts, I wrap my head around what it is I want to say. I want to be able to say it in a, what would be described in quotes, a poetic method, a poetic style. And then I go back and I revisit it. I, re I, I revise it, I edit it. All of these are scientific acts. And so by putting that in my background into that kind of action, it makes poetry work for me. Now, I wanted to ask you about um, A Cruise in Rare Waters. That was your third work. And it's you call it a chapbook. Chapbook, yes. What, is, what exactly is a chapbook? A chapbook is really a short, a very, a very short collection of poems that does not qualify as a full-size collection of poetry. Typically, a, a chapbook is 32 pages, and originally it got its start because you could put the poems on pages in, sort of, in a sort of a way that you could fold it particularly and you could just become portable. You could stick it in your pocket kind of thing. It's, mm -hmm. not, uh, it's not perfect bound like a normal book or, or um, a novel would be that you're, you're used to seeing perfect binding on it. Very often chapbooks are just stitched bound or they're stapled together. Uh, I'm very fortunate my publisher did a, a sort of a chapbook book version of a perfect binding on this, but the book was based on me taking a, cru a, a cruise in the inner uh, waterway of uh, Alaska. Uh, and I was just not only astounded by the landscape and the lands and so forth, but I was impacted perhaps more by what commercialization has done to the Inside Passage and what it's done to these little towns and what it's done to the people there. Uh, it, and it's, that's not a good thing. Uh, we're taking a wonderful, wonderful wilderness and, and, and indigenous people who reside there and we're just commercializing the heck out of it. Uh, there's no reason cruise ships need to go into those cities and have larger harbors dug to, distort, to destroy the natural waterways, all for the sake of, of travel companies wanting to make a living. I mean, that's, it just seemed abundantly unfair to me. And so I wrote about it. Uh, and uh, in 2014, you had Stones for Words come out. Right. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Where, where did that title come from? That's kind of it's very unique. Yeah, yeah. It, if you look at the cover of it, you'll see what looks like oversized dice with words on them, and uh, they're they're made out of uh, 
it's, it's sort of a heavy polymer. It's heavy mineral filled polymer. So they're heavy when you roll, it's like dice. You know, they, they roll and stay put. Those are the stones. And uh, the stones can be letters. The stones can be words. And there's a permanence when you say something is carved in stone. And, you know, when somebody tells you something, hey, you can round this, go home and carve it in stone, or I'm carving this statement in stone. It means, it means a permanence. And so the implication in the poetry in that book is that what I'm saying has meaning enough to sort of keep and uh, keep as a sort of a permanence. The, the book is composed of sections, uh, including why I write poetry and uh in, in, in each one of them, it's sort of like I'm going through a segment of my life. Some are humorous, some are uh, not really dark, but some are thoughtful, pensive. Mm. Uh, the, the, the ones that are the light ones, I, I'm also known uh, for writing a lot about the consumption of whiskey. And so some of those poems uh, appear in there because I happen to be a huge enthusiast of scotch and bourbon. Uh, so I, I, tend to, <laughs> I tend to write about that. <laughs> yeah, I consider myself a scavenger on the landscape looking for decent scotch. That's There you go. That's a great, uh, may I use that? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. I now, you. I wanted to get into one really particular uh, work, I think, would, you know, for folks around here in central Appalachia, would probably have a lot of interest in looking at this. You, you wrote about coal mining in southwest Virginia in a in a uh, book called Needville and I kind of want maybe to expound a little bit about what why you wrote that and what what you wrote um without obviously giving too much away and then you actually converted that into uh, like a play right so that's yeah. when I meant to do as a playwright um tell us the story of Needville it was really an outcome of the years where I was a guest lecturer at UVA's College of Wise uh, the, I had met years ago the one of the uh, professors of education, or excuse, yeah, of English, excuse me, uh, Jillian uh, Young Tiller, and she and her husband Ken both teach at Wise, and uh, she invited me down to give uh, guest lectures lectures on poetry craftsmanship. I, she wasn't asking me to come down and teach poetry. That's not actually what I do. Um, I don't teach how to create iambic pentameter or any, you know, any of those types of forms. I, and if you I, want to learn that, you can watch Dead Poet Society, by the way. Well, there you go. I mean, you know, if people want to learn how to write poems, I, I've got tons of resources here I can tell. But they wanted me to come down and talk about the craft of poetry. What inspires a poet? poet to write poems about topics of interest. And I, after the first time I came to Wise, I realized that's a very, very special area of the state. And I saw mountaintop removal. Mm -hmm. And I saw young people, and this was only reinforced the several times that I made return trips back to lecture there, that these young people were so, so filled with the desire to get an education and they were getting a world-class education at WISE. 
they were getting a world-class university certificate when they graduated. They were being taught by people who were committed to living there and raising their families there. These young people did not want to go back into the cold fields. These young people wanted to get out and do something different. They were proud of their roots. They had family members who were coal miners. They lost family members too soon in their lives who were coal miners, but they didn't carry that sadness like a heavy backpack. They carried books in their backpack. They carried their desire to have education. And that touched me really, really deeply. One of the last mining companies I worked for was a division of a coal mining company. And I saw what coal mining companies do. I, I know how they work. And it's not for the benefit of the people whose land they displace. Then it's just that simple. It can't be. And it's, and I'm not giving them a pass by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it just impacted me so much to look in the eyes of these young people and see this intense hope, this intense desire, and just a passion for, for wanting to be educated and to be in the present. And that, those trips and seeing the sites and just tapping into my own research and expanding the research, I read Dope Sick. I read uh, bar, uh, another book called Coal. And in fact, uh, the author of that book uh, graciously wrote uh, an, uh, a piece, a critique piece inside my book, Needville. But that's how Needville came about. I just put myself as much as I possibly could into the persona, a, gen a generic persona of what represented many people there and tried to create the absolute best poetry I could to tell the world. That's why the book is an homage to UVA's College at Wise. I wanted them to know how I felt and the love and just the love and commitment I felt to the area. Yeah, you know, I, I appreciate hearing you say that um, because, you know, I, you know, my father, he was injured in the coal mines and you know, he, uh, I think my grandfather had the lung issues. I, I mean, black lung is a real thing. People, yes, it is. When, when, when you hear about it somewhere else, they just think, oh, it's some hillbilly problem, right? And that's, that is so far from the, the case. Um, Absolutely. Uh, you know, but just kind of, it reminds me when I was going to UVA wise and, 96, 95, you know, I, I did a couple of years at a community college and went down there. And, uh, you know, my father always told me, he's like, you know, you're never going to the coal mine. You're just, you're going to college or else, you know? So it was one of those things where it wasn't an option, you know, you just, and I, you know, in my family, I think I'd had one other, one cousin who went to college. Um, I think he maybe finished a uh, fair. But other than that, I was the first person to go to college and finish a four-year degree. And I was the youngest of three siblings. And then my sister, Tammy was next and then you know, got a degree finished up at UVA wise a year later. And it was, it was really kind of neat to kind of have that 
well, you're not going to the coal mines, you're going to look for something else. And, but the sad thing is, um, and I want to get your opinion, your, your, your thought on this. You know, growing up a lot, and a lot of us, you know, my age always heard, you have to get out of the, get out of the mountains, get out of the coal fields, get out of here, go make something of your life. And that is so depressing when you think about how people think there's no opportunity to change, grow your economy, grow your industry, diversify around here. Yeah. And I was so glad to come back to the area after, I mean, I, I enjoyed living in Cincinnati and made so many great friends. I still keep in touch with these folks yeah. and, uh, you know, um, and, you know, in Frankfort, Kentucky and so forth, but coming back to central Appalachia um, to kind of change that stigma. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about back then, all those folks as young students with, with hope and optimism, that wasn't beaten into our generation's head around here. It was just something that we saw a glimpse of an education and saw something more. And I hate to see so many people leaving the area. It's called a brain drain. You know this. Yeah. But, but at some point, I do enjoy seeing people who come back because this was home. Yeah. And, we can, and we can do better. Yeah. You know, and... Uh, and- and I think the area will now they're they're you know, with some of the recovery starting to happen with the coal mining company shutting down and, and looking at alternative areas and deciding that it's costing too much to continue to mine coal, it'll cost them entirely too much to remediate the mountaintops. They'll never be what they were like before, but there, it's going to end up the, the lack of profitability is going to drive them away. And maybe these towns down there they they will become tourist destinations in some way because I think the communities will will come back and revive the music like the music trail that's down Mm -hmm. there they'll come back and revive some of the natural rivers that are there the natural small lakes the natural forests the quaint towns can start to do things that encourage the community and perhaps clean clean industries perhaps technology can, you know, there's a technology corridor down there that revolves around uh, closing in on Virginia Tech. Maybe the Emory and Henry's and the other schools will bring in professors who will bring in families and want to enrich the area where they live. Yeah. So I, I, I feel optimism. I, I wish, JC, I weren't 75 years old, okay? If, if I had discovered all of this about my life and had been able to do all of this when I was in my forties, I can promise you, I would have crawled to the president of UVA's Wise's office and said, please, please give me a job here and let me teach something I want to live in Wise. I mean, it's, it's that special. It it really is. And I think what a lot of the things you just had mentioned, we're starting to see that we're starting to see um, things happening along, you know, building new trails and cleaning up, uh, you know, rivers and, and, Mm -hmm. and uh, parkways. Um, the big now uh, it, down in like, for example, St. Paul and around through there, mm-hmm. um, so much that's happening over the breaks interstate park. Um, now you have the, uh, I think governor Northam had signed in a, I guess, uh, some sort of an, I don't know what, what it was, but they made part of the Virginia waterways along the clinch, the largest, uh, waterway park in the, in the country. So, I mean, when you take a look at all the private land, they actually got enough of it that along the clinch river, there was something like a hundred and some miles it's down national park area and it's and um there's so much beauty to explore and there's so much opportunity and cleanup oh. 
and yeah. tourism. And I think a lot of these towns probably need a need a spotlight in, on the trail of history because yeah. these little towns around here, not only did they go through the you know the the industrial revolution and really fired up a nation with energy mm -hmm. sources as we came through the roaring 20s into the great depression into the into world war ii world war one world war ii and carried us into the 50s and 60s mm -hmm. to where you get can transition to other things they were this region was part of the growth of america's greatness yes. and we have such a unique culture and uh yeah. and i'm so glad to talk to writers who expound on this and are proud of this and and put this in your work. And uh, I, I certainly appreciate you sharing this. Now you have another poetry book supposed to be coming out. Well, um, I have a, I have a, one little quick thing I'll finish up about Needville because yeah. you asked about that. In March, 2020, it debuted in Charlottesville as a play. Um, one of my professor friends from, uh, from, uh, oh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the name of the college. It'll come to me. Uh, but at any rate, uh, he had a good friend who's a New York play director and well-known. Uh, and he said, you need to get him to, and I to teach you how to write a play. So that was an arduous six to eight month project where they taught me playwriting. And I brought then the director in to direct a core group of about 10 people, all amateurs, we had 10 days to come up with a play form of Needville and actually wow. put it on. And we had planned to put it on in numerous places, but it debuted on March 4th, 2020. And on March COVID. 5th, COVID yeah. shut everything down. So it's, as Carol Cutler likes to call it, it's world premiere it was really singular. It was one night, but this past December, uh, we did revive it as a dramatic reading, and uh, we used it as a mechanism for uh, getting donations for the local Blue Ridge Food Bank. Uh, Carol and I want to collaborate with people down in Southwest Virginia and put it on, a, again, either as a play or a dramatic reading uh, in the areas of Southwest Virginia. We'd like to probably try to do it in Abington or Marion or Norton or Pound or Wise, wherever we can get anyone. We want to use local people as readers, and we want to use it as a mechanism of uh, not charging, but asking people to bring in donations of uh, food for the local food banks. Um, and that, you know, if, if we're able to do that with uh, Needville, then I'll feel like we're, we're giving something to the community. They get a chance to participate in a fun project, and, they, and we also are able to, to get something for the community as a result. I'll just make a quick suggestion on maybe another place to look at. Right across the border um, from Wise is Jenkins, Kentucky, and yes. they have a little outdoor theater with local Ooh, okay. actors. Um, and really everything is set up right outside. I can't remember the name of it right now, but maybe like the Little Shepherd or something like that theater. Um, but if you just type in Jenkins Outdoor Theater, something something will pop up there, I'm sure. Um, okay. And I know that they hadn't done anything in a while because of COVID, but you're sitting there outdoors and they do things on the weekends and uh, to have, to have a, fun. they got an outdoor venue for you to actually perform under a, mm -hmm. under a roof, but everybody else is sitting out in pews, like church sure. pews outside. So it's really beautiful. 
little little uh, location. So that would that would be ideal. And it's uh, you know I've I've got <clears throat> some leads of contacts to make down there. Carol knows a lot of people. I have a friend Brett Taylor who just retired uh, from the U.S. Department of Justice, uh, who lives in Marion. He was born and raised in the Marion area. He He's helping us make contacts. Uh, we are going to be at the Virginia uh, Highlands Festival. Uh, Carol has already sent a check-in. She and I are going to share a table. Okay. So she has a book out called Buchanan County Dreaming that's about coal mining and family dynamics. That, and her book just came out. And so her book and my poetry book sort of go hand in hand in a way in terms of, of topic. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll yeah, be uh, looking for you down there at the uh, Highlands Festival because I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a table down there, but I, you know, if I'm in town, I, I usually like to pop in there. And well, good. You can come hang writer. out with us. Yeah. <laughs> my fellow so writer. You were asking about um, <clears throat> other projects. Well, I, I came out after, Right before Needville, I had another book called Sometimes a Little Town, and that was poetry about Elkton, Virginia, based on the photography of my father of that area. And then my current book that's out is called Simple River, and it is a collection of poetry, both new and selected poems in that. Uh, that came out last year, and so... In progress, I'm actually taking all, I wrote columns for Southern Writers Magazine, as you noted, for about 10 years. And so that that uh, magazine uh, discontinued last year because the, the editor and publisher really wanted to concentrate on podcasts and blogs, kind of like you're doing. She, uh, and so now I, my column continues on her blog spot. But at any event, I've got in progress uh, the collection of all of those columns, and they are about the craft of poetry. And um, that I'm hoping that that will be out in time for the Virginia Highlands Festival. Well, good. I'll be looking forward to that. And uh, if folks want to find you, your website is sarahmrobinson.com. And that's Sarah spelled S-A-R-A. Correct. Uh, so, yeah, make sure you get that correct. And uh, folks, uh, pick these up on, uh, you can find all these on Amazon. Yeah. And uh, so, or uh, other book retailers, I'm sure online will have some of these. Yes, you can find them pretty, pretty much through any bookseller that you like to go through. If they don't have it stocked on their shelves, they, any of them, they, you can certainly special order them for you. Sure. And I will be reading poetry at Virginia Festival, the book that starts this week. Uh, I'll be reading a second act books on Friday, March the uh, 18th at uh, four o'clock. Okay. okay. Now, so if any of your people down there are, are traveling up this way for Virginia Festival Book, they, they certainly can meet me and second act books will have books there for me to sign and talk about too. Well, as a little kind of a special thing I want to do with this podcast. Uh, so those of you that are listening on your smartphones, uh, just uh, or even online, go to the details section of uh, this, this particular episode, you're going to find a YouTube link in there and you're going to find Sarah standing, I assume this is on your back deck, beautiful little area, wooded area, uh, reading when we catch, for, uh, when we watch from our porches. Uh, it's uh, just a couple of minutes. So uh, um, I will put that online for, or on here for everyone to click on and go watch. Make sure you go uh, click on her Amazon page and follow her there. Uh, Sarah, I did want to ask, do you have social media pages like Facebook where people could follow you? 
Yes, I am on Facebook uh, as uh, Sarah Robinson, and you'll easily recognize me with my gray hair. And I'm holding up a big old style Clark Kent kind of camera that was my dad's camera. Oh, cool. Uh, and I'm on Instagram as well. Okay. So folks, make sure you uh, go follow her and uh, on, on those and uh, check out her books. Uh, you can follow us here at the foundation on Facebook also at facebook.com forward slash support Appalachia. Uh, I'll also have the link uh, on that website uh, for this particular podcast. And uh, make sure you stop back and check uh, often. We're going to have uh, some more guests coming up here in the near future. Uh, Sarah, I want to thank you. And I appreciate your perspective and point of view and sharing your work with us tonight. And uh, uh, we'll all be looking forward to hopefully seeing you down the road and meeting you at one of the festivals. I would love to. I'd love to meet any, any of your friends or any people who listen to this. I'd love to speak and talk with you. And just a fair warning, okay? Uh, don't buy me a whiskey unless you want me to talk a lot, okay? <laughs> the hard part won't get me to start talking. It'll be to get me to stop talking, especially about your lovely area. Oh, yeah. Give her a little shot of truth serum and you're off to the races. Hey, thanks there. I appreciate it. You're very welcome, JC. Thank you so much. And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Appalachian Shine. We will see you down the road.